Und just as a reminder, uh, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we have plenty extra and we'd love to give you one as our gift to you. So if uh, that is you, you can simply raise your hand and uh, one of the fellows in the back will make sure you have one if you need one and uh, you can go ahead and keep that if you need that. If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Joshua chapter 23. Title of the message this morning is Don't Forget. Don't Forget. Have you ever noticed what happens a short while after you acquire something that you really wanted? I think for many people, the excitement wears off in just a short time. Whether it's a few days, few weeks, few months, it seems that eventually the newness, the excitement, it wears off. Um, I can remember specifically a time that I got a new vehicle. And when you get that new vehicle, you're thinking, man, this is a hundred times better than the one I just traded in or just sold. Everything works, at least for a temporary period of time. Everything's good. And you're excited to get in that thing. I mean, I mean, I mean, after all, do you remember going from having to unlock the door to going to a clicker? I mean, the fob? I mean, come on. That was pretty cool, right? I remember that as a kid. And my parents got something that had a clicker. I mean, not all cars had clickers. I mean, that was a pretty new thing. And then you get into the thing, to cars now, they have like heated seats. And now there's even cooled seats. It's a little bit above my pay grade, but they have them. And you imagine, you know, you're all excited when you get these all these new bells and whistles and these features, and you're excited about it. Six months later, if you care less, it's just a thing, right? I mean, it's just the way it works. Or new carpet in your house. I mean, when you get brand new carpet, I mean, everyone is taking the shoes off. I don't care who you are or how high up in the you know, food chain you think you are in our family. You're taking your shoes off because it's brand new, and I'm excited about it, and it's plush, and there's no marks on it, and, it, and it's really cushiony. A year later, after everyone's been walking on it, the kind of the poofiness has been lost, and there's a few stains here and there from the kids, and oh well, it's just something that's in the house, right? The excitement kind of wears off. Or how about ladies, new jewelry, watch, a ring. I mean, look how it sparkles. My, my, my ring doesn't sparkle, just, just there. But you know, it's exciting at first, right? I mean, look what my husband did, look what my wife got me, whatever, yes, that watch that you really wanted is exciting. Clothes for some of you. You're excited when you get those new clothes. And, uh, you know, maybe for some of you, your clothes didn't shrink and you actually had to get smaller ones. You know, think that's really cool and you're excited for a while until, you know, until you've washed it four times and it doesn't matter anymore. And, uh, and then your kids came up to you and gave you a hug after they got done eating and they got jelly stains all over it. And, you know, that's just life. You know, it's just, just clothes now. Um, I can remember I had a pair of Air Jordans. When I was in eleventh grade, I mean, I thought I was the, I mean, I was the bomb. Remember the old ugly? They were white with red around them with a black swirl. Remember those? I mean, those were the cat's meow. I mean, I had a pair of those. They tried bringing those back. They're not like the ones I had. They're they're reproductions. I had the original. Uh, I can remember laying in bed watching TV, looking at my new shoes on. Yeah, I know, it's weird. Um, but I, for a while, thought, I mean, this, I have arrived when it comes to basketball shoes in this world. They were the best. Um, or how about a new job? Man, this job pays more than the last one. Wow, thank you, God. You're excited because you're making more now and maybe a little bit less strenuous, but a little bit better position, kind of fits your needs a little bit better, and you're excited about it. But no matter what it is, doesn't it seem that after a period of time, the excitement, the awe, 
the emotions of what you receive just kind of seems to wane. Is it true? Is it true? Yeah. I think for all of us. Whether it's a few days, a few weeks, a few months, maybe even for some of you a couple years, but it wanes. Because what was once new and exciting is not so exciting anymore. And for many of us, or maybe for some of us, that even happens with our faith. Would you agree? I mean, think about it. I mean, you remember when you first came to faith in Christ and all of a sudden you began to see that there's a different world. You're excited that there's actually answered prayer. I mean, this, this is all new. It's kind of, I'm still learning, I'm still growing, but there's answered prayer. And you get excited about it because you've never seen that before. Or maybe there's new friends. Friends that aren't like your other friends. They're a little bit different and, and they encourage you and they love to see you and they love to give you a hug when they see you and they love to encourage you and lift you up and, you know, talk about what's exciting in your life. And, and some of you, as you come into faith in Christ, you're excited about that new aspect of this faith is these new friends or maybe a new environment. You know, these people don't cut me down. Maybe they don't discourage me. Maybe they don't do this. They don't do that. They're not part of this. They're not part of that. And you say, man, I really like this environment. But then familiarity sets in. Complacency sets in. And just like that new item, it's not as exciting as it used to be. For many Christ followers, there tends to be many parallels of how our exciting emotions of when our faith was new and exciting tend to wane over a period of time. And for some, they've lost the awe of what God has done for them or what God once meant to them. And that's unfortunate, but I think it happens. I don't, we, we don't, it's not, it's not an intentional thing, right? I think we'd agree with that. It's not intentional. We don't, we don't purposely sit down and say, well, I think I'm going to be really excited this first year and next year I kind of going to pull back a little bit. Nobody does that. I mean, it just happens, right? Because other things become more new and more fresh and more exciting. And this is, well, that's just kind of there. As we look at Joshua chapter 23, Joshua is about to leave the scene. He took a moment to remind them how good God was to them. In fact, let me just read verses 1 through 5 as we get started this morning. A long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them, Joshua was old, getting on in the years, So Joshua summoned all Israel, including its elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and said to them, I am old, getting on in years, and you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account, because it was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. I mean, is that not a huge reminder of how great God was to them? He said, you have seen for yourselves. Verse 4, he says, See, I have allotted these remaining nations to you as an inheritance for your tribes, including all the nations I have destroyed, from the Jordan westward to the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will force them back on your account and drive them up before you so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. As Joshua is getting ready to leave the scene, he says, Listen, I'm not going to be your leader here much longer. I want you to know a couple things. And he reminds them that God had given them rest from their enemies. I don't think that was a very light thing to consider. I think that is a very important thing. He says, you got to understand, God has given you rest. Don't forget that. It's only because of God that you've had this rest from all your enemies. 
And then number two, that God had fulfilled all His promises to them. As He said at the end of verse 5, As the Lord your God promised you. He says, don't forget that you have been blessed. God has taken care of you. And don't forget that God is a God who fulfills His promises. But Joshua was also reminding them, I'm leaving. I'm no longer going to be your leader. Uh, you have to know these things. And you have to be concrete in them so that you don't forget. And just like we forget the newness of something, just like things become old hat, they become second nature, and we just kind of lose the awe and the, the excitement of it, he says, don't do that. Don't let that happen with your faith. With these blessings in mind, Joshua urges people to never forget, to always stay close to God. And notice the next section of verses in Joshua 23, verses 6 through 11 specifically. He challenges people to do four things. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, these are four things that we should do in our own lives, in our walk, in our journey with God. So I want to read verses uh, 6 through 11, and then we'll break them down just for a moment. Verse 6. It says, Be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you do not turn from it to the right or left. And so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not worship them or bow down to them. Instead, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you. And no one is able to stand against you to this day. One of, one of you routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you as he promised. So be very diligent to love the Lord your God for your own well-being. Let's just take a moment and pray as we get started, as we break down into these four things that we need to apply to our own lives. Lord Jesus, I ask God as we come before you, Lord, that you would help us to, Lord, truly understand what we're reading here this morning, Lord, and help us to be able to, as we're listening to these words from your word, I ask God that you would help us to apply them to our lives, Lord. That we would do these same things that, that really Joshua urged his people to do. Uh, Lord, knowing that you have been a great God. A God who has done so many great and wonderful things. A God who has fulfilled his promises. I ask God you would help us to learn from this passage, Lord. And that we might apply it to our hearts and our lives. And we we'll ask your blessing on this sermon. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The very first thing that we see here in verse 6 says, be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Number one, be very strong and obedient to, the, to God's word. That's the first thing I think every one of us need to be reminded of. I need that reminder. You need that reminder. Every one of us who has a relationship with Jesus Christ needs the reminder that we need to be very strong and obedient to the word of God. As I was reading through this this week, I thought this question. What's the difference between strong and very strong? I mean, think about that for a moment. He didn't just say, be strong. He said, be very strong. And as I'm thinking about that, why did he make an emphasis on very strong versus strong? He said, well, Pastor Ken, you're making too much of it. I probably am, but I just want you to think about that for a moment. I can remember a time when I was uh, just graduating from high school that I could bench press nearly 400 pounds, or just over 400 pounds. I used to do that all the time. I mean, the day I could lay down and, you know, and... I can't do that today. I'm not even going to try because I don't want to break something that I don't know I have in my back. I don't know. My, my arms aren't there. My shoulders aren't there. I can't do that today. There was a time that I was very strong. 
Today, if I can do 150, 175, I don't know. I don't even try. I'm not going to try. I know that some may say, well, that's strong. But it's not very strong. I mean, think about that. There's a difference between strong and very strong. And he didn't just tell you to be strong. He said to be very strong. So lifting 200 pounds is strong. But lifting 400 pounds, I would think we all agree, is very strong. Just like the lack of training leads to physical weakness, so does the lack of discipline lead to spiritual weakness of faith. There's a reason why I cannot lift 400 pounds anymore. It's not important to me. There was a time when it was. I was out logging every summer up in Canada and working with missionaries up there and doing 400 quarter wood and up 4 in the morning and working all day with logs and you know the muscle mass came. There was a day that even after I left that, I would go to the gym and I would work out. And I thought, this is the most boringest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But I did it because it made me strong. Bottom line is, it was important. And as I was doing it, I became stronger. But when I quit doing it, guess what? We know what happens, don't we? You don't use it, you lose it. I'm not very strong anymore compared to what I once was. Because I don't practice it. I think weightlifting is the most boring thing on the face of God's earth. It's like running. Who wants to go running down a road? My excuse is that it kills knees. I don't know that from experience. Just been told. But just like the lack of training leads to physical weakness, so does the lack of discipline lead to spiritual weakness of faith. If you don't exercise it, it will become weaker. That's why he says to be very strong and obedient to the God's word. He says, listen, you might know it, but there's a big difference between knowing it and doing it. We all know those. We use the illustration a million times, but our actions speak louder than our words. The reality is, you don't exercise it physically or spiritually you will lose what you have. And so he says here in verse 6, be very strong and continue in your obedience. And then he says, obedient to God's word. Why? So that you don't deviate to the right or to the left. Isn't it amazing they put it on there? I mean, I mean, I, I can't make this stuff up. He says, and so that, uh, uh, continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Why did he put that in there? I mean, couldn't he just say be obedient? I think because he really wants us to stay on the path that we know is what? Right. That's why we're reminded in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, there is a way, there is a path that seems right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, we can't go by the path that we want to go. God says, here's a path that I'm laying out for you, and this is the path that I want you to stay on. Don't go to the left, don't go to the right. Stay on this path. I think that's pretty strong words. Obviously, Joshua was urging his people to stay on the right path, and sometimes other paths can seem so inviting. Isn't that true? I mean, after all, this over here looks really exciting. Oh my goodness, it's snowing outside. Squirrel. Sunshine is gone. Take take back everything I said. There is a path. There is a path that looks inviting to many of us. I mean, if I just go over here, I mean, 
I had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago. They said, man, I really want to go on this path, this, this direction over here. And I said, why do you want to do that? He goes, well, it's a lot more money. I said, oh, okay. I said, is it a lot more stress? He goes, oh, I, I just don't know. I said, uh, it would be a better environment? He goes, I'm not really sure. But, but, but man, I, I think if I had that extra money that they're offering, I could really do this or this or this. I'm just telling you, there are sometimes paths that look so inviting. But you don't know the outcome until you start going down that path. You know, we can say, well, this path that I'm on right now, something just isn't right. I just don't see, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't seem to be the path that I should be on. Well, is it the path that God has for you? You see, what I found in, in my years of experience is that sometimes the path that God wants us on is not the most glittery, golden road that, that we think it should be. Sometimes the faithful, consistent path is the right one. It may not offer all the excitement that this one has, or all the, the money that this one has, or the position that this one has, or the cloth that this one has. But we know it's the path that God has for us. And so we patiently stay on that path. There is a path. Sometimes it looks greener on the other side. Doesn't it? I mean, how many times have we looked at other people who aren't living for the Lord and it looks like they have every blessing known to mankind? Three houses, 16 cars. I mean, there are people like that, right? And you know their life. And you know their life is filled with sinfulness and heartache. and But they have all the toys. It looks so appealing. And it would even appear that maybe God's blessing is on them. Don't mistake possession. Don't mistake position for God's blessing. Because there's a big difference. Joshua is urging his people to be very strong and obedient to God's word. The lack of respect for God's word is often evidence in one's lack of respect for authority. Let me say that again. The lack of respect for God's word is often evidence in one's lack of respect for authority. Why? They're both rooted in selfishness and a lack of submission. They're both rooted in selfishness and a lack of submission. When I don't want authority in my life, it usually expands the whole gamut. And someone who will not take the word of God seriously, it's also often true that they won't take authority seriously. Because they're selfish and they don't want to submit to authority. They're rooted in the same thing. So number one, Joshua urges his people to be very strong and obedient to God's word. Number two, in verses seven and eight, Joshua urges his people to be faithful to the one and only God. To be faithful to the one and only God. He says this verse seven. And so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you, do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not worship them or bow down to them. Instead, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done all, done this day. Be faithful to the one and only God. Joshua's people were living amongst a people who had, had not, who did not follow the one and only true God. Do you get that? Joshua's people lived amongst a people who did not follow the one and only true God. Does that sound like any of us today? Do we live amongst the people that don't follow the one and only true God? Of course we do. That's the world around us. It's very much like us today. Joshua was urging them not to be influenced by the culture that they were living in. 
They were living amongst a people who had false gods, false idols, false worship. No different than today. We are living amongst the people who have a lot of gods. You say, well, Pastor, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I quite see that. Well, let me just tell you something. I've been to India. I've been to Africa. I've been to different places, even in Mexico. And I've seen the circumstance where as you walk down some of the roads, and the bottom line is, as you walk down those roads, you will see idols and shrines and so forth to false gods. You can't go very far. You'll see a glass cage or a glass box that has just enough of a slot that you can put money in. And these are for good luck. I mean, you put these things in there, put your money in there and your change in there so that you might appease the gods and get, get you know, gain advantage with them and, and whatever gods that they're worshiping. And that's supposed to be a good thing. Bottom line is, it's a terrible thing. You say, well, we don't, we don't have that. I mean, you don't walk, go for a walk down the sidewalk on Cockins Road and find a box sitting there for someone to put money in. We don't have those. You know what we have? We have stuff. But more importantly, and maybe more truly, stuff has us in this world. Stuff has us. The bottom line is this. As we go about our day, we've said it before, anything that we give more time, attention, and focus to than God has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. Anything that we give more time, attention, and focus to has the potential of being an idol in our life. We need to make sure that we don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. We need to make sure that we are staying faithful to the one and only true God. Joshua was urging them not to be influenced by the culture that they live in. That is so hard. Isn't it? Does anyone else struggle with that? I mean, do we not like what goes on? Or, I mean, think about this. Uh, I, was, I was at Best Buy last night. And uh, HP has this new laptop out. It's really cool. Rather than having a metal or plastic lid, it's leather. It's called a padfolio. It's got an i7 in it. It's got a lot of memory. It's fast. This thing is awesome. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at things like, man, that looks so nice in my hands. I'm just saying. I was just like, man, I want to just, mm, no, I don't have the money for that. But man, I'd like to have the money for that. Say, it's a computer. Yeah, what's your thing? Clothes, relationships, job, a vehicle. What's your thing? We're not to let culture influence what we do or how we do it. That's a hard thing. Because we can justify, rationalize, and excuse anything that we want to do, can we not? I can come up with a good reason why I should go get that. I mean, this is a tool. I mean, I'm a preacher. I study, I study, I write, I type. It's a tool. I can justify that. I can rationalize why I should... I, I, well, I can pretend to rationalize why I should spend that much money. $1,400? Come on, it's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, really? Yeah, it is. That's crazy. But man, is it nice. I want it. What's your thing? What is it that you struggle with? What is it in this culture that influences you? Joshua was urging them, don't let culture influence you. Don't let the world that you live in dictate what you do and how you do it. How can they, how can we avoid the influence of culture? By practicing the first point that we talked about. Be very strong and obedient to the Word of God. How do we overcome the influence by staying true to the one and only God? 
Be very strong, very obedient. Psalm 119.11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. That's important for us as believers. How do we overcome those struggles? How do we overcome the desire, the temptation? Because he said, there's no temptation that is taking you, but such as common to man. But he says, with that temptation, there is a way of escape. You know what is often the way of escape? Saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I have treasured God's word so much that I'm not going to sin against him. The word remain is often translated cling. If you look at your word of God uh, in your hands, you'll see several words that may be translated. So this idea of I've treasured uh, your word in my heart so that I may not sin. Um, he says the word remain is often translated cling or hold fast to or bond with. Now picture in your mind Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, which states, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh. That word bond, remain, cling, adhere to. Picture an intimate embrace between a husband and a wife. Or a young child clinging to his father's hand. This is the idea or the word picture behind what it means for one to be faithful. To remain in or cling to the Lord. That's why he says here. In verse 8 in our text in Joshua 23. Instead, remain faithful, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. That word remain is an important word. A husband and a wife who are embracing each other tightly. They are hugging. No one else can slip in between them. They're tight. Or a father holding his child's hand. Tightly grasping each other's hand together. They're bonded. That's the idea here. You are so close to one another that nothing can get between the two of you. I wonder. I ask myself this. Do we, do I cling to God in this way that Joshua was urging his people to cling to God? Or have we let something or someone get in between you and God know that answer. You and God know that answer. If the idea in verse 8 is to remain, to cling, to abide in, so close that nothing or no one can get in between, just as Joshua urged his people to do, I think God would be urging us to do. Amen? So my question still remains. Is there anything or anyone that has come in between us and God? If there is, we need to deal with it. Number three. Be mindful of God's doings. We see this in verses 9 and 10. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you, and no one is able to stand against you to this day. One of you routed a thousand, because the Lord your God was fighting for you as He promised. Number three, be mindful of God's doings. Don't forget that. If I could just say this, two things. Number one, recall often what God does for you on a regular basis. Recall often. Think of it often. Dwell on it often. Meditate on it often. What God is doing and what He has done for you. Let me just name a few. Salvation. 
How often do we think about that? Hopefully it's not once a month as we celebrate the Lord's table. But do we wake up in a given day, in any given hour, in any given week and just say, thank you, God. Or how about mercy? My goodness, mercy, grace, not giving us what we do deserve and giving us what we don't deserve, his mercy and grace. Or how about forgiveness? How often do we sin against God? A wrong thought, a wrong action, reaction. How often do we sin and we say, God, I'm sorry, and he says, I forgive you. Over and over again. How about his love? His love. How about daily blessings of provision and protection? Recall often what God has done and what he is doing for you. And then number two, realize that God does fulfill his promises. Uh, over and over, God makes it very clear that he, uh, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 2, he's a God that does not lie. If God says he's going to do it, guess what? He's going to do it. That's the very nature of God. He's faithful to his word. And in Numbers chapter 23, I had to look for a second. Numbers chapter 23, and verse 19, says this, God is not a man who lies, or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Guess what? God's going to do exactly what he said. He's a God who fulfills his promises. And Joshua is urging them to be mindful of God's doings. To recall often what God has done for them. And to realize that God will fulfill his promises. And then number four. We see this in verse 11 in our text in Joshua chapter 23. Verse 11 says this. Oops. So be very diligent to love the Lord your God for your own well-being. That's kind of an interesting verse. Once again, there's the diligent versus very diligent. We could say of somebody who is doing a job, oh, they're, they're diligent. They mess up once in a while, but they're diligent. But when we say they're very diligent, we're saying that they are faithful, they're meticulous, they're, they're always doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're responsible that word very just adds a little <clears throat> to it, doesn't it? Just a, one step further. He says, be very diligent or careful to love the Lord your God. I think you can say this. In other words, intentionally, purposefully, love the Lord your God. So, all these four things, it seems pretty simple, right? I mean... Be very strong and obedient. Be faithful to the one and only true God. Be mindful of God's doings. And be diligent to love God. As Joshua was challenging his people, knowing that he was about to leave, he also added one more element. And this is something that we often forget about. That I think we, that we all need to be reminded of is that these, this challenge comes with a word of warning. And we see this in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, For if you turn away and cling to the rest of these nations remaining among you, 
And if you intermarry or associate with them, and they with you, look at verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out before you. They will become a snare and a trap for you, a scourge for the sides and thorns for in your eyes until you disappear from this good land the Lord your God has given you. This challenge that he left his people with came with a word of warning. And here it is. If you turn away from God and His Word, you will lose God's blessing. So far, you've experienced rest. You've experienced peace. You've experienced my hand of protection upon you. I have taken care of your enemies. But if you, if we could say it this way, allow the culture that you are in to become your culture, you will lose my blessing upon you. Isn't that what it's saying? He said, if you allow these nations that you live amongst, if you intermarry with them, if you take on their gods, if you allow this culture to influence you, you will lose my blessing upon you. And then number two, I think he says where he says, no, for certain, you'll experience heartache. You will. When you make a decision to trust God and to follow Him, and then you begin to let that go, you were once faithful, now you're not. You were once obedient, now you're not. You once walked with God in fellowship and obedience to Him, now you're not. You've experienced God's lack of blessing. And you've probably experienced more heartache as a result of it, if we're honest. Over and over, God's Word teaches that principle throughout Scripture. You'll lose his blessing. You'll experience heartache. Don't let the newness, don't let the awe, don't let the amazement of what God has done and what God is doing in your life become humdrum. Become, that's ah, not that big a deal. Because when that happens, man, we forfeit God's blessing and we experience heartache. I said God's word is full of this over and over. I'll close with this. As a kid, I remember going to Sunday school in church and we used to sing this song. The wise men built his house upon the sand. Remember that song? The wise men built his house upon the rock. You know, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. But here's the same for both the wise man and the foolish man. They're both going to experience storms, right? Storms are a part of life. Here's the difference. The wise man, according to Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, says this. The wise man is picturesque of a man who hears the word of God and does it. The foolish man is picturesque of a man who hears the word of God and doesn't do it. When the storms came down, the rain came down, the floods came up, as the song says, the house on the rock stood firm. In other words, the one who was obedient, he had security and blessing. But the one who built his house upon the sand, the one who heard and didn't do, storms came just like it did for the other one. And his house went... So much truth in that childhood song. God honors obedience. He blesses obedience. But when we choose to ignore what we know is right, you'll not experience God's blessing. You'll experience more heartache.
That's what Joshua was urging his people as he was leaving the scene. In closing, let's seek to implement these same exhortations that Joshua gave his people into our life today, into our homes, into our church. And I believe that as we do, we will see God's blessing. We'll see his faithfulness to us. But if we don't, whether it's in our personal lives, our family lives, our church lives, we will, in the same way, forfeit God's blessing and experience heartache. That's what he challenges people with. He goes on through the end of the chapter and he just gives an illustration of this. He says, don't turn away. I want to urge you as we come into the time of the Lord's table in just a few moments. Have you lost the awe? Have you lost the, just the amazement of how good God is? I think we need to do what Joshua urged his people to do. Recall often what God is doing. And realize that God is a God who fulfills His promises. We have the greatest hope of anyone on the planet Earth. We get to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. If that doesn't revitalize our walk with Him, I don't know what would. Right? We have such greatness to look forward to one day in heaven with Him. But let's not shirk our responsibilities and our faith while we're here. Let's stay faithful to the end. Amen? Let's pray.